Arts, Lifestyle, SNS Online. by anti-gay protesters in Moscow today before being arrested by police. Being targeted for violent attack comes with the territory. Ladies and gentlemen, Peter Tatchell. Stop homophobia in the Commonwealth. Peter Tatchell has devoted his life to proceeding for homosexuals. When people in power won't show compassion, sometimes you have to up the ante. He writes the book on how to do a protest. Peter is a performance artist. I am trying to ensure the arrest of a torture. He deserves recognition for his extraordinary contribution to the happiness of millions who've never heard of him. Hello and welcome to SNS Online. Hating Peter Tatchell is a brand new documentary now available on Netflix and is the brainchild of Australian filmmaker Chris Amos. Five years in the making, the film offers up an extraordinary account and historical document of evolving LGBTQ plus rights and more through the eyes of one man who, through his sometimes divisive but nevertheless successful human rights campaigning work, has time and time again been seen as the protesting figurehead, pushing himself more than many would dare and often risking his own personal safety in the fight for a kinder, fairer world. A fighter of injustices, oppressive regimes and a champion of the LGBTQ community, he is, of course, Peter Tatchell. Now, nine years ago, SNS spotlighted his vital work in a special edition, and now he joins us again from his home in London to discuss the making of this beautifully crafted tribute to his life and work to date. Alongside the man who made it happen, Chris Amos, who's on the line from Australia to examine all things hating Peter Tatchell. So, Peter, welcome back to the programme nine years after our last chat. And a big welcome to Chris Amos, creator, director, and I'm sure most other things of this incredible project. It seems to me that a documentary of this calibre really should have happened years ago. Do you think there's a reason why we are only now properly celebrating your incredibly important and enduring campaigning role in 2021? Well, I will leave that to others to speculate. (laughs) But I would say that I've always had a problem with large sections of the media because so many of my campaigns have been cutting edge, trailblazing and often very controversial. And I know from past experience that certain editors have said we're not having him on our program. So I think that's one of the reasons why Chris and others have always had a big hard battle to get commissions from broadcasters in the UK. Blimey. Chris, tell me about your reasons for getting the story out there and obviously, you know, told to the widest audience possible. Okay, so there's two points of view on this one, to be honest. From a film perspective, Peter's an incredible uh, character because he has suffered so much adversity, yet he's given so much to society. You know, it's been a thankless task at many times in his life and I just saw that as something that really needed some sort of uh, spotlight put on it so that people could be aware of like what he was actually going through not like a pity party for Peter but just that you know he was doing this and 
when you look at it in context and with hindsight over decades, it was really profound to look at. Whereas I think a lot of people are so caught up in the Peter Datchel story day by day, news story by news story, they don't see the whole package. So it, that yeah. was one aspect that really sort of sung out to me and made that interesting. But, you know, as well, like on a personal level, this is my directorial debut as a film, feature film director. And I wanted sure. something I cared about that I was passionate about because, you know, it's a lot, a lot of hours putting this sort of stuff together. Mm-hmm. And I needed to care. And I just knew that if I had a legacy in my life, if I could help the cause for gay liberation, this is my contribution. And so, you know, personally, that's what I'm getting out of it. So, yeah, I'm very proud to, and very privileged that Peter's allowed me this access. Absolutely. And it must be flagged up, but you are obviously involved in, in if you like, gay media. Uh, historically, you've uh, worked on a number of um, uh, publications. And uh, give us a very brief bio of, of uh, your work to date. Well, I was raised by two lesbians in Australia. So the um, whole LGBT movement's been part of my life from inception, basically. Mm. And when I got to the UK in 1999, quite soon after, I ended up working on a a gay magazine called Bent Magazine, which had a national distribution. And I was aware of Peter and I'd met him at a few gatherings in London. Uh, At that time, there was basically PR events around the gay scene every night of the week. So we'd often cross paths. And I knew that the work he was doing was really important. And I knew it was at odds to what Stonewall was doing. I found that really striking as well. And I was very drawn to the campaigns of outrage at that particular point. So Peter, um, I used to give him a contributor's fee once a month and he'd write an article for me. So we had that monthly contact mm. way back then. Sure. So, and, you know, it's there's also the his from Australia connection living in the UK. So it, it's, I don't know, the cosmos just pushed me towards yeah. his story. Where did your sense of injustice and the possibility of putting it right come from? When I was age 11, I heard about the bombing by white racists of a black church in Birmingham, Alabama. Four young girls about my own age were murdered. I remember thinking to myself, how could anyone kill four young girls in church on a Sunday morning? Peter, I see you as someone who has, you know, a job to do, but wouldn't necessarily feel the need for an all bells and whistles show about you. And ultimately, your focus is on just the actual campaigning. Why did you agree to do it? Well, I really wanted to tell my story and through my story, tell a wider story about some of the great sort of freedom struggles of the last few decades. Um, And in particular, I wanted to inspire others that social change is possible and here's how you do it. But it's, it's really, for me, an almost an educational tool, as well as a film. It, it's a way of saying, this is how I did it. This is how you too can be a change maker. Yeah, absolutely. Was the, um, the idea an easy sell or not? I mean, the title itself is quite provocative. Uh, yeah, just on what Peter just t- said then, 
<laughs> Initially, I'd actually been really keen to explore Peter's personal life, and he was like horrified by that because he's he's just like no 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 I'm I'm the messenger, not the message. And you know, I, I I know that through the film we're inspired by him and we see his family and whatnot. But you know, I I have actually come around to his vision in terms of showcasing his life's work because that is who he is and using that to demonstrate what you can do in terms of direct action to make gains in terms of human rights. Um, with the title, that, that's interesting actually. Um, I already had a film and TV degree and I did a master's in script writing as well. But then I started doing some research into actual documentary filmmaking mm. and I hired a, a consultant, Cole Spector, who wrote to me yesterday, actually, and congratulating me about the film. And we had a three-hour conversation, like, late into the night, just to come up with the title. And I knew that I wanted Peter's name in the title because I wanted that to resonate so that people and social media and algorithms and SEO and stuff would latch onto that name. But it was just like, well, you can't have too long a title what's this one word so then we were just discussing what's this one word and then I was just like well you know the essence for me that makes this interesting is that here we are telling a, a biography archival film about a hero but what's really interesting is just he's an anti-hero and there's just all these people that he's helped who have benefited from his campaigns that have actually given him a bit of like stick and I was just yeah. like well you know, that's 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 interesting because you've kind of got this gray area it's not just a pro Peter piece we need to speak to these haters I need to find out who is it that actually objects to Peter's campaigns and things and from that came the word hating yeah, yeah. so yeah. it was also a reference to hating Elson Ashley a, a children's story that I read um so, yeah, that's how the title came about. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the title. I think it, it, it works so well because it, it sort of draws you and you're intrigued. Can you shut up now, I'm please? I'm not going to shut up. This is not oh, a free right. and open debate. This is the most disliked man in Britain. From the early days, I thought Peter was a brave motherfucker. Let me be frank. I don't think Peter was always helping. Really? Let me that finish. Really, let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> The logistics of funding such a massive project, uh, tell us about the difficulties of that. I presume must have been many to produce a film of this calibre as an independent documentary uh, maker, raising funds, etc. Yeah, just on that note, um, in the UK, it's very hard to make a featured documentary. Um, the market's leaning more towards TV commission style documentary factual entertainment nowadays. So in terms of wanting a 90-minute to two-hour sort of film, that's very, very hard to do nowadays. Um, also, as a first-time feature film director, I didn't have the, um, the sort of back catalogue to sort of make people yeah. comfortable investing in me. But at the same time, I was kind of like adamant that it was me that should do the task 
there were times there where I was thinking maybe I should just produce. I'd produced a documentary before and that kind of reached a, became a bit of a cult hit in the LGBT film festival market. But I really wanted to make my feature directorial debut. And I also, I just knew that the trust that I had with Peter, I was the right man for the job. I didn't think that another filmmaker could come in and, and sort of liaise with Peter and respect his boundaries and confidence and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I knew that it was me that was was assigned for the task. So I, I, I didn't... There were other opportunities along the way that I could have gone down, which would have meant that I would have had to not be the director. So then it sort of, I was going to film festivals all the time and film markets. And then I um, went to one seminar where they said, well, you're Australian, here's Australian. Why don't you look for financing in Australia? And then I sort of hit on the idea that maybe I, I'll do that. So I actually moved back to Australia and they have excellent funding for filmmakers in this country. And basically, yeah, I met up with Veronica Fury at Wild Bear, who's Queensland-based, which is where I'm from. But one of the producers? Or? She's the lead producer on this, uh-huh. yeah. She's been amazing. And then she already had a track record, so then suddenly we had the confidence of film funding bodies that she can pull it off because they trust her um, smarts to make a feature doc and get it to market. Deserves recognition for his extraordinary contribution to the happiness of millions who've never heard of him. The whole gay community owes you because of your bravery and your courage. Does Peter have an ego? Yes, you need an ego to perform. Was getting other high-profile names on board uh, quite straightforward? Because obviously that sort of adds a, a cachet. I presume that came between you, people like Ian McKellen, Elton John, David Furnish, uh, Stephen Fry, who uh, were quite prominent in the documentary. In all fairness, I did go into this project hoping, praying probably is a better word, that some of these amazing uh, icons of the gay world from the UK entertainment industry would take part. And I already knew that they respected Peter's work and were supportive. And Ian, very early on, uh, back-channeled between Peter and Ian, suggested that he would take part just in as a courtesy email sort of thing so i sort of latched onto that and i knew it was really important to have these marquee names so that um audiences around the world not just the lgbt plus community would be drawn to this film so it might transcend the lgbt market um so it was really important and then when it actually came down to it though reaching out they were on board. There was no hesitation from Stephen Fry or Ian McKellen or Elton and David. You know, they were so supportive of the film and so um, aware of its necessity. And especially now with direct action taking off around the world around climate change and Black Lives Matter. So they were drawn to this project and, you know, there was no hesitation from them. When Chris indicated that he wanted to have some big name celebrities in the film uh, in order to get traction in the wider media and the wider public, um, what I did was email those that I knew personally to urge their support and to introduce Chris. So that personal connection helped smooth things for Chris to get their commitment and involvement. There were, however, some big names that we missed out on So I would have loved to have had Mike Tyson in the film uh, to talk about the time I challenged him uh, in Memphis 
uh, USA in 2002 over his sexism and homophobia and did actually get him to uh, more or less apologize and to express his public support for LGBT plus rights. Mm. Um, I also would have loved to have had Angela Davis, the US black power leader in the film, to talk about um, the World Festival of Youth and Students in East Berlin uh, in 1973, where I staged the first ever gay rights protest in a communist country. Uh, but sadly, neither of them were available. I did get a response. Mm. It was very late in the day. It was January last year, just as COVID was starting to break out. Um, we, I had, I reached out to lots of people. In fact, sure, you know, we, um, I, I must have approached about seventy people in total. You see, I'm um, sort of thinking of a director's cut where you could still put these in at some point. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like it's funny you say that, but the, it, the we also had Andy Bell interviewed. Um, and sadly, though, it was just he wasn't able to commentate enough throughout a certain amount of periods in the film that made it kind of beneficial. So Angela obviously was in there and George Carey but, and Stephen Fry. They were very informative about those moments in the film and I could use them throughout the whole film, if you know what I mean. I so understand. That, yeah, it was really, and uh, if you have too many voices in there, then suddenly everyone else is not getting enough screen time. And in a way, I really wanted those commentators also to sort of stand out as um, identities as well. Um, yeah, I yeah, yeah, it was the right balance, I think, that we got in the end. It was, I was very lucky. I think it's an angry mode of politics that verges on the self-righteous. And it's and was meant to be highly provocative. There were people in Stonewall who didn't like Peter, and not everybody thought he always acted in the right way, but he wasn't really accountable. It was great to have Angela Mason in the film. Um, she was the former head of the LGBT plus charity Stonewall, and we worked together in the Gay Liberation Front in London in the early 1970s, and I've known her throughout this entire five decade span of my activism. So having her voice and her perspective, I think added a lot to the film, even though at times she was a bit critical of some of the methods I used. The Russian Prime Minister Vladimir Putin has thanked soccer's world governing body FIFA for choosing his country to host the 2018 World Cup. With the World Cup in June, what can we do to help support the Russian activists? Could I go there and do some kind of protest to draw attention to what's happening in Russia? We have Peter going very much into the lion's den. He's off to Moscow to Camp Clag. So my job is to get Peter to Moscow and to do everything I can to keep him safe. The filming, as it happened, of one of your protests in Russia was incredible, and I would imagine difficult for both of you for different reasons. Peter, let's start with you. Going to Russia to stage a one-person protest against the anti-gay witch hunt in Chechnya was a pretty bold and um, quite scary, exciting and challenging uh, project. We had to observe incredible secrecy uh, and plan things undercover in order to ensure that neither of us were rumbled by the Russian security service, the FSB. Uh, it meant 
you know, me going in as a football fan, tickets to see football matches, uh, wearing a football shirt, uh, carrying the English flag, trying to blend in to not arouse any suspicion. And although I had grave doubts whether I would be successful and pull it off, uh, it did go fine. You know, I did stage that one man protest right outside the Kremlin, uh, right by Red Square. And um, it was I think, very important that I was able to shine a light on the persecution of LGBT plus people yeah. in Russia, because, of course, if Russian activists did it, they would have been arrested and faced very severe penalties. Mm. So at least I'm, I'm, I'm proud that my intervention meant that the story about the World Cup in Russia was not just a PR exercise for Putin and his regime, but that I was able to highlight and get worldwide media coverage about the tyranny of his regime, particularly against LGBT plus people in Chechnya. Absolutely. And also, I've got to say, on behalf of all of us, we're so relieved that you were you got out of that OK in the end, because uh, I've seen some awful footage of you being uh, beaten up and all the rest of it. I know that's given you um, long term damage to to one of your eyes. Uh, Chris, let's talk to you. Let's put the question to you. And how how difficult was it for you to do this filming? It was pretty intense um, yeah. heightened by the fact that you know what's going on with people that talk out about Putin being bumped off and having accidents like accidents and things so there was all of that sort of in the back of my mind at the same time I was quietly confident that we were there to achieve something and I knew that by hook or by crook we were going to do something um, it was it was very a lot of military a lot of police the security around red square was i've never seen anything like it and i don't even think moscovites had seen anything like it either it was just everywhere president putin sanctioned the 2013 law that has led to the persecution of LGBT Russians. President Putin has failed to stop the violent anti-gay witch hunts in Chechnya. Even President Putin doesn't have the right to override the constitution. I have time to... I am being apprehended. I want to stay here with the journalists. Are, but... So, you know, that also made it seem like, wow, this isn't going to happen. Mm. Um, Added to that, you know, we were kind of handicapped with our phones and devices and communication channels to actually rally the media to attend an action, so to speak. So we were very fortunate there was just a press conference on the same day that we were able to sort of, you know, go old school and be there to communicate with some journalists directly without having to do a big press release out into the universe, which would have been picked up. Um, even still, I'm fairly certain they were tipped off because when we got to where the action took place, there was already a police presence there. Yeah. So, and I saw them there when we were going, as Peter was going in with his backpack and stuff. And, you, you know, it was, you don't know how heavy handed they're going to be. Um, Peter had also sort of reassured me a little bit that, you know, doing this action on World Cup, 
in Russia was a little bit of cover because they weren't going to want an international incident. Yeah. Uh, because of the world media was there. So that kind of gave a little bit of cover and there was a little bit of reassurance. But, you know, this is all hearsay until it happens. Yeah. And then when it actually did happen and he was arrested, there was a lot of other journalists around. So I felt a little bit protected. I had a radio mic on him and was picking up all the sound and stuff and then they cut him off. And I was kind of a little bit nervous that they might um, realise that I was there with Peter and that they might confiscate the footage. So when he was taken away in the police vehicle, by that point, most of the media had left, but there was just a few hanging around. So I sort of went over to... Um, one of the, I think it was a Brazilian journalist who I'd seen earlier at the previous press conference and sort of said to him, oh, would you mind just like um, giving me a hand, like walk me to the taxi just so that I've, I don't look like I'm too much on my own and I've got a witness just so that I can get away from the scene. Brilliant, with brilliant. The, with being confiscated. And then I rushed off back to the hotel and had to duplicate the footage and, and then also put it up into a cloud and, Oh, I was very hysterical at that point. And oh. Peter's like gone off to the watch house and, I'm, you know, we couldn't communicate with one another. I didn't know how long he was going to be in there or what was going to happen. We had a protocol in place if he did go off the radar, though. So that all started to kick in. And then Boris Johnson's tweeting the embassy to let him out and stuff like that. So it all kicked off then. An impression people have of you is that you're a one-man band. I just remember when you were sort of locking up your door at your home in London, all those locks that you have to put on because you have had death threats and all the rest of it. I think it sort of framed you, not deliberately, but there just was this feeling of this this solitary man with a backpack going out to change the world. And uh, do, do you ever feel that when you embarking on a big um, a demonstration like that, that, you know, this could be the last time you'll leave your house? Yeah, often it appears that everything is relaxed and I'm calm, but inside I'm a bundle of nerves. I'm nervous about will I be successful in pulling off this protest or will I get arrested and even beaten up? So there's an incredible level of adrenaline, anxiety, and I suppose tension. Normally, when I'm doing a big protest, I have a splitting headache from the nervous tension. My stomach is churning over. Uh, I'm literally shaking with nervous anxiety, fear about arrest, fear about being rumbled and not pulling off the protest, and fear of being beaten up. Well. My name is Maddie, and I'm Peter's mother. Unfortunately, she's been brainwashed by the church to think homosexuals are going to hell. I mean, good deeds don't save us. That's one thing that the Bible does teach, good deeds. It's not going to get us to heaven. One of the reasons I enjoyed the documentary so much was not just the campaigning. I love the personal touch because my image of you, Peter, is someone who is so driven. But I almost view you, and I don't mean this in a rude way, because I, I don't know you well enough. It's a very two-dimensional image of, of, of this um, uh, people's hero who goes out to uh, fight wrongs and all the rest of it. But in the real world, you know, clearly you have a social life. It was briefly touched on about your r romantic liaisons in the past and also your family. 
family in Australia. Uh, your wonderful sister, who uh, was very supportive of your work, and your mother, who, although is poles apart in her own beliefs, clearly still very much loves you as you are her son. And for her, us to be introduced to her and to see you together was wonderful and added a very important third dimension, I, I would say, to the whole story. Was she reluctant to take part? Or indeed, were there any reasons why you were reluctant uh, for her to take part? No, she was very open to the idea. Um, you know, she loves me. And I thought it was a good thing for her to be part of the film. Um, we do have our disagreements on some issues, but I owe her a great, great debt. Um, she always taught me from a very early age, um, be your own person, you know, take personal responsibility, don't follow the crowd, do what you believe to be right. And those kinds of moral ethical groundings have stood me in very good stead. And it all comes from my mum. Makes you feel so humble to think that Peter's so well regarded. My mother initially could not accept my homosexuality, but she began to accept that I was motivated by the kinds of moral principles that underpin Christianity. Well, I've shown him how to be compassionate towards people, I think, and to stand up for what he believes in and do what he believes is right. Although she's still uncomfortable with homosexuality, she doesn't see it as a great, terrible sin. It's, it's a minor sin. Another thing I want to pick up on is some of the, the talking heads you had. Now, getting Dr George Carey must have been an incredible scoop. Peter was pretty active in the human rights agenda. I thought he was a bullying kind of chap trying to get his own way, and um, I didn't like that. The Archbishop of Canterbury's traditional Easter sermon was interrupted today by a gay rights protest. Demonstrators scaled the pulpit, waving banners and shouting at the Archbishop. Lord, you call us all to be men and women of peace. We had tried for eight years to get a meeting with the Archbishop. He was saying that there should be no legal recognition of same-sex relationships. We were faced with the option, either give up and walk away or go on to challenge him. And where better than in his own cathedral at Canterbury on Easter Sunday when his sermon is being televised around the world. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, who was supporting legal discrimination, at the Easter address uh, disrupted by yourself and others from outrage. Now, first of all, I found it, I was amazed that you managed to get him on the documentary and also, and without giving too many spoilers away, about uh, how he viewed you uh, as a campaigner towards the end of the documentary. Yeah, it was a great story of redemption, yeah. um, you know, to go from a fierce critic to someone who praised my human rights work. That really was uh, an, an amazing thing to hear. And um, I think it shows that he perhaps has undergone some considerable reassessment of his own views about LGBT plus issues and sees me as doing good in the world. And I'm really pleased that he had the guts to say that and really pleased that Christopher Amos, the director, captured it on film. Oh, yes, absolutely. It was a very strong moment. It's what I always wanted. I don't want people as enemies. I want them as allies and friends. And the fact that George Carey 
made that transition, I think is one of the real highlights of hating Peter Tatchell. For me, the biggest coup was George Carey, yeah. obviously. Because um, when I was growing up, I, you know, I'm Church of England and he was, you know, he was doing the ceremony for Princess Di and Charles's wedding and things. So to have him in the room with me, it was, it was absolutely incredible. And I didn't really know what to expect when I was doing the interview. So I had all my questions and stuff, but he was so generous and so kind and um, gentle with me. And I was with him as well. But having said that, though, I did like probe him quite a bit and I did have the guts to sort of pull, call him out. And it's not in the film, but I was raised by two lesbians and I sort of suggested to him, you know, what you what Peter was upset with you about trying to get to talk to the Church of England about was that, you know, these heterosexual couples is what marriage should be, that homosexual relationships aren't justified yet here I was as a child in a relation with my two mothers sort of thing so what you were saying was really damaging for my well-being as a child and so I called him out on it and he was very not sympathetic but very understanding and he opened up to me and there's there's interview transcript that I've got that I should really probably chat to Peter about at some point but he did say to me that he has come around that in his local neighborhood I think what's changed his perception is the visibility of the LGBT plus community in society that we're out there now and you know that your neighbor may be someone who's not heterosexual and I think because of that visibility He's had to change his path. To, he's had to change his opinion on this because it's just everywhere around him in his in his local neighbourhood, and so he he really has admitted that he's you know changed his opinions on these things. The the thing with George Carey as well, I've seen a few of the people online on Twitter and stuff. A lot of people are upset that I didn't challenge him on the issues that actually saw him kicked out of the Church of England position. And, you know, I guess that's another film altogether. Mm. But um, I think he, I think what happened to him personally uh, with his role as the Church of England head, he's had to do a lot of soul-searching internally as well. Um, so I think him coming to do this interview and being able to sort of set out the facts of where he now stands. I think it was kind of cathartic for him in a way. Mm. Yeah, I don't want to say that it was. You know, that's up to him to say that. But I did get a sense that it was for him cathartic. Yeah. I think it was important for him to be put on record that he has changed his opinion on these issues. Um, yeah, hopefully he got something good there.
say that this documentary, uh, obviously made with a lot of initial struggle, is made clearly made with such a lot of love. And they tend to be the best things to watch, uh, funded by all sorts of different means and uh, getting the public involved. And I think that shows on screen that, that love, care and attention. None of these are cynically produced for a fast buck. And it's a real a testament to Peter's incredible work. We did a Kickstarter campaign. There was a lot of groundswell of support from the grassroots supporters of Peter to research and develop it early on. But then in terms of what Peter alluded to earlier, in terms of getting a TV commission around this, there was radio silence, really. It was pretty um, shocking for me because I thought it was such a great story that was so relevant. But also um, the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter and direct action hadn't really kicked off at that point. So, you know, when we started out in this project in 2016, it was more a case of, you know, the um, doing petitions online and things like that. And so direct action's really become a bit of a force in recent times. So I think the timing of the film now leaning in towards all of those movements as well is completely like it's it's the time is now for this film and it was i'm glad in a way that it had a long gestation period so it became more and more vital for to land now if you know what i mean yeah so how long did it did it take and also in terms of covid uh did that track you down yeah it was five five years five years and, uh, yeah i thought it was going to take it two years yeah <laughs> Peter told me, I mean, I can clearly remember being in Peter's apartment and he said, you've got to be joking if you think you can do this in two years. It'll take at least four. And I was just like, nah, I'll get it done in two years. That's he hilarious. was right. Yeah. Was it difficult to know what to keep in? I imagine you must have so much footage, which probably enough to make another documentary, uh, plus library footage, I noticed, which which really added to the, the vintage uh, bits. There's heaps of stuff that should have gone in. Sure. But... Yeah, it was unfortunate with the length of time that we had that you just couldn't fit everything in. And also you had to sort of lean in towards the craft of storytelling and documentary filmmaking. So ideally it would have been twice the length and possibly a three-by-one-hour episodic TV series. Perhaps maybe someone will watch this and think, hey, let's go and expand it and here's like a couple of million dollars or whatever because archives are very expensive. <laughs> that would be amazing. But would be amazing. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I think Peter's, um, in all fairness and gratitude to Peter, because it's his life story and it, it must be hard to know that there's these incredible moments in his life that aren't there on the screen for everyone to sort of give attention to and also raise awareness of. And I think, you know, it, I, I'm very grateful for him for allowing me to sort of kill those babies so to speak um and let the film be what it was to get it out how it is and with the stakeholders involved and stuff i know it was very tough for chris to whittle down to a dozen or so campaigns the literally thousands of campaigns i've done over the last 54 years i mean there's so many things that i've done that didn't make it into the film, no. like my ambush of Tony Blair, the British Prime Minister, uh, in opposition to the Iraq War, um, my bid to get an international arrest warrant for Henry Kissinger, the former US Secretary of State, over the mass indiscriminate bombing of Cambodia in the 1970s, 
and my confrontation with Professor Hans Eysenck in 1972, at a time when he was the world's leading psychologist and a strong advocate of electric shock aversion therapy to cure homosexuality. Uh, all those and many more never made it into the film, but what we've ended up with is a very good snapshot of some of my key campaigns. How important is getting this story and, and the wider issues out to a wider public? It's, it's a bit of a hard one, that one, because there's particular campaigns that Peter's working on now, Muslim Solidarity being one top of my head, which I would love to raise more awareness for. Um, I was quite keen potentially at one point that we go to Qatar to raise awareness there because of the World Cup coming up there. Mm -hmm. um, and also I feel like that community the, with religion and, and, and I just feel like there's so much persecution there and also within the Commonwealth as well where the Queen's the head, there's just so many countries still where it's illegal to be gay. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's shocking that in this day and age that's still the case, but I guess I wasn't. I had to make sure the film stuck to Peter's story because that's another film, and so it was. It was a little bit discouraging for me at times to not be able to lean in towards those um, causes and give them more screen time. But at the end of the day, I also wanted this film to make people feel inspired by Peter and to hopefully let them pick up those causes and take off in their own, you know, part of the world. And so I had to always keep coming back to that. What's the key story that I'm trying to put here and how do I want people to feel? And so, yeah, that was a little bit of a struggle for me at times in the process. The British police are the best in the world. I don't believe one of these stories I've heard About them raiding our pubs for no reason at all Lining the customers up by the wall Picking out people, knocking them down Resisting arrest as they're kicked on the ground Searching their houses, calling them queer I don't believe that sort of thing happens here In some quarters, are you still considered in 2021 a troublemaker in this country? Well, I've stuck to my principles and yes, I'm still pushing at the boundaries. Um, I'm still taking sometimes provocative, controversial stances and I'm still doing direct action. For me, I don't look back much. I'm always looking forward. What's the next battle to fight? And there are plenty of them, both here in Britain and around the world. Do you think you wouldn't have achieved half as much, Peter, if you hadn't put your neck on the line on, on such a regular basis, uh, created uh, you know, wonderful media opportunities that were beamed around the world, etc.? I've taken my inspiration from people like Mahandras Gandhi, Sylvia Pankhurst and Martin Luther King. 
they each in their own way show that sometimes you have to be a bit provocative and confrontational. You know, when people in power won't listen, you have to up the ante. And every successful social movement in history, from the Chartists to the suffragettes to the black civil rights movement, they have always been challenging and come in for a lot of stick. But it's because they've been challenging that change has happened. So that's been my template, my model, my mantra. Were you hurt as a result? Um, um, as a result of the many physical assaults I've endured, I've been left with semi-permanent brain and eye injuries. It's damaged my concentration, memory, balance and coordination. Um, it doesn't stop me, but I am slower and it's more difficult. I used to be a really good typist, but now I find really it's a real struggle to type. And I get the letters jumbled up a lot. But you know, by comparison to human rights defenders in Iran or Saudi Arabia, I've got a flightly. You know, I haven't been imprisoned, I haven't been tortured, I'm not dead. So I count my blessings and think, well, carry on the fight. Listen, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate that. I, I'm thinking next, you're going to cringe at this, Peter, a Hollywood film. Who would you like to play you, Peter? Because I think, I think it's got to happen. I have absolutely no idea. I do. Go on. Ben Benedict Cumberbatch would be brilliant, don't you think? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. I think he'd make a great pit attack. I just think it's such an amazing story, and it's great we've got the documentary, but that has to happen at some point. Um, and also, there should be a statue of you in Hyde Park, which I think I said to you nine years ago, but you're just, you're just cringing as you're hearing this, Peter. <laughs> I am indeed. I am indeed. <laughs> And let's just say that Hating Peter Tatchell is available to be seen on Netflix uh, at the moment, currently excluding Australia and New Zealand, who should be getting it later in the year. Indeed, news just in that it will be receiving its first big cinema screen presentation at the Melbourne International Film Festival this August. So that's very exciting. And obviously, any further information, Google Hating Peter Tatchell or Chris Amos, documentary filmmaker. You can follow Peter Tatchell's work and, if you like, get involved at Peter Tatchell Foundation. Org. Chris and of course Peter, thank you so much for the chat today. Thank, thank you. you very much for your time. In the morning we built the city. In the afternoon walked through its streets. Evening saw us leaving. We wandered through our days as if they would never end. All of us imagined we had endless time to spend. We hardly saw the crossroads and small attention gave To landmarks on the journey from the cradle to the grave Cradle to the grave, cradle to the grave Did you learn to dream in the morning? Abandon dreams in the afternoon Wait without hope in the evening did you stand there in the traces and let them feed you lies? Did you trail along behind them wearing blinkers on your eyes? Did you kiss the foot that kicked you? Did you thank them for their scorn? Did you ask for their forgiveness for the act of being born? Act of being born, act of being born. Did you alter the face of the city? 
make any change in the world you found? Or did you observe all the warnings? Did you read the trespass notices? Did you keep off the grass? Did you shuffle off the pavement just to let your betters pass? Did you learn to keep your mouth shut where you seen and never heard? Did you learn to be obedient and jump to add a word, jump to add a word, jump to add a word? Did you ever demand any answer? The who and the what and the reason why? Did you ever question the setup? Did you stand aside and let them choose while you took second best? Did you let them skim the cream off and then give to you the rest? Did you settle for the shoddy and did you think it right? To let them rob you right and left and never make a fight, never make a fight, never make a fight. What did you learn in the morning? How much did you know in the afternoon? Were you content in the evening? Did they teach you how to question when you were at the school? Did the factory help you grow? Were you the maker or the tool? Did the place where you were living enrich your life? And then did you reach some understanding of all your fellow men, all your fellow men, all your fellow men? Never accept the world as it is. Dream of what the world could be and then help make it happen. SNSonlineshow.com, your brand new one-stop shop for all things SNS. Take a tour through our wide and diverse collection of shows and listen in to our exclusive range of in-depth interviews spanning the popular arts, featuring actors, writers, journalists, stand-up comedians, musicians and more. You can also enjoy our shorter bite-sized series covering vibrant new theatre, television and book releases. And with our Arts Lifestyle Remit, you get to explore issue-based topics including health, mental health, women's rights around the world and LGBTQ. Contact us with both your comments and suggestions for future guests. And don't forget to read up on our blog, regularly updated with articles and photographs. A forum where everyone is welcome to contribute. SNSonlineshow.com, your one-stop shop for all things SNS. SNS.